Welcome to this week's podcast. My name is Mickey Badlamenti, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, we've modified our church schedule to help keep people safe. We currently offer on-site Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. with limited capacity, and we ask that you register ahead of time. Please visit www.rockpoint.org slash register before you join in person. That way we can save your seat. And we also live stream the 11 a.m. service on our YouTube channel. You can always find Rock Point on Facebook or visit the website for more information, including important schedule updates. And while COVID may have affected how we do church, it cannot diminish our efforts together to be the church. We look forward to connecting with you. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome back. My uh, wife and I have watched a movie from time to time that uh, we both enjoy. It's particularly one of her favorites. The movie's name is uh, Frequency. came out some time ago. And it's in some ways kind of your classic, um, you know, cop chases bad guy and bad guy uh, gets caught, right, eventually. But it has a bit of a twist in it. The movie itself uh, takes place where um, this uh, uh, fireman in the 1950s discovers through some miracle of nature something happens and allows him through his ham radio to connect with his son in the future who is a police officer and he's using the exact same ham radio and you know they kind of discover each other on the airwaves they think they're strangers and then they realize they're using the same call sign you know back then ham radios each had a unique call sign and they determine they're using the same one and eventually realize they're actually talking to each other from across the span of time and it's kind of a, a, a moving moment as they get to know each other and walk through some things and actually his father uh, his son in the in the future actually helps his father the firefighter to catch this bad guy who kind of uh, through the generations uh, through the decades was was causing some great harm. But one of the most, to me, compelling moments of the story was when the son tells his father, he says, you, you are not with me in the future. And the reason is, is because you died tragically fighting a fire. And that time is coming up just a few days from now for you. And so I want to tell you, in this fire, you're going to be in this warehouse, a fire is going to break out, and there's going to come a moment where you're not sure which direction to go. And you're going to think this direction is the good way to go. And it's going to look like there's an open stairway. But as the report came out later, that is where you perished in the flames. Instead, when you look to the other side, you're going to see something that was probably shrouded in darkness. It wasn't obvious. It was a, a, a direction that would have uh, not looked good to take. Take that direction. And the father comes to this moment. He's standing there. The fire breaks out. He looks. He sees the staircase. It looks open. He looks to the other opening. It's dark. It's smoky. It's uncertain. And he chooses the uncertain way. And as he goes through there, he hits a chute that carries him all the way out of the, the mill into out a window and into the water where he splashes down and he is cleansed and he's free. And, of course, the story is very moving because eventually it comes to a place where um, they are together, reunited, the son and the father, because of that moment that this voice of love guided him in the right direction to go. I believe we're in one of those moments today. We're at a place in the culture right now where it's very difficult to know which direction to go. I think many people are confused there's some dark uncertainty. There's a lot of shrouding and clouding out there in the world. And we're not exactly sure what choice we should make in terms of how we move forward. But I believe there is a voice of love that's calling out to us, telling us which direction to take. And it's important that we listen to that voice. 
I want to start by giving you a, a statement from the gospel, a particular moment in time, very much like this moment, a moment where, uh, of conflict and confusion and where forces were colliding. And it was at that moment that people were trying to make the same exact decision of which way to go. And it comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. And we read there that when the people came to a place called the skull, they nailed him, that's Jesus, to the cross. It was the moment that Jesus was being crucified. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. So he was surrounded by criminals. And then we're told by this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. It was a moment of darkness and uncertainty. And then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. But Jesus' friends, including the, woman, the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. That last sentence always catches me. That in this moment, his friends, those closest to him, stood at a distance watching. They felt the need to retreat away from the moment of that cross. There's a, a study in theology that's called theodicy. It's the idea of trying to understand where is God in the midst and moments of sickness, suffering, and trials of this world. But sometimes it can be generalized as where is God just in the moments of plain confusion, moments of darkness, moments of uncertainty in a, in a fallen world. And again, I feel, at least personally, I don't know where you're at, but I've been at one of those moments. I mean, if you look at 2020, for me, um, you know, there's a phrase when you say people who have clear vision and they understand everything that's going on really clearly, they can see clearly, it's called 2020 vision. I don't think we should ever use that term again. You agree? All right, so you've had one of those years too. And, I, and you know, I don't know yet what remains to be seen, but 2021 vision may not be a better substitute. We don't know. But that's where we're at. It's turbulent times, and God can feel far away, and we can be tempted to stay distant from him, to actually retreat away from where he's at. In those moments, what, what do we do? What do we choose? There might be a way that seems right. There might be a way that we want to go towards. But it may not be the right way. It may not be the way that the voice of love is telling us to go. Proverbs 14, verse 12 says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. And so what will we choose? This message today, I'm calling the crossroad because I feel we're at a crossroad in our culture. And as people who claim to follow Jesus Christ, we have to ask, which way will we go? And I believe there is a way of the cross that God wants us to pursue. The cross has always been central to the life of the follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, it was so central to those early on when they copied the Scripture. You know, back in the early days of the church, they, they couldn't uh, reproduce Scripture on, online. You couldn't go to Bible Gateway or these other sources and find it. They had to hand copy it on paper. And they had an interesting practice at times when they came to wanting to copy down or write down the word cross. They actually had a symbol that they would use. It was called a starogram, and I wanted to show this to you. It's kind of in that cutout there, that circle. It's zoomed in. That's the whole page of the ancient copy that they would have there. And then there's a symbol right in the middle of that that was called the starogram, S-T-A-U-R-O-G-R-A-M. It comes from two ancient words that means a letter and it also means cross. And what they would do is they would take two letters 
from the word for cross in the ancient language they wrote in Greek, and they would put those two letters together. They would overlap them on top of each other, and it would become like a shorthand form for the word cross. They would just put that symbol in there. But you might have already picked up that as you look at that, that symbol in the middle there looks quite like somebody on a cross. Can you see that? You can see the arms almost stretching out. You can see the round circle above that almost looks like a head. And then you can even see the swiggles down below as almost as if it was a curved body and legs attached to that. They literally wrote the image of the cross into their words. They wanted the, the understanding and the picture of Jesus on the cross to be central to their words, to their life. What is central to our words, to our life? I'm introducing an idea here you might call what some people call a Christocentric view of the cross. And what I mean by that is that the cross has to be more than just understood as something Jesus did for us. But we need to understand how the cross can become central to our lives. The cr cross is the central theme around which everything else in our life should be oriented. And so in other words, how does the cross inhabit our very words, our very thoughts, our very actions? Don't just think of the cross as what Jesus did to bring you eternal life. Think of the cross as the way to live. How can we live the cross as followers of Jesus Christ? And so in the remaining time, I just want to give you a few ideas there. Just three ideas of what it means to live out the cross. The first idea is that the cross is truth. The cross is truth. Now, truth can be pretty broad. We can talk about the importance to call out truth from falsehood. In fact, uh, I saw a, a movie. It's a Netflix, uh, I think it's a made-for-Netflix movie called The Lie. It was an interesting approach to things. It begins with one person telling their parents just a small lie. And this ends up parlaying over the course of the movie into a whole series of events in which major people get harmed, major wrongs happen, illegal things go down, people suffer for this, people are going to jail, and this all spins out of control because of one little moment of a lie. There's another movie that's out right now, Wonder Woman 84. Yeah, it brings you back to the old days, huh? But uh, they, they've been playing this online, and you can rent it and so forth. Watched it recently with one of my kids, and one of the cool things that they brought out of the movie was the same idea, that these people are allowed to trade uh, what, you know, the truth for something that they desire. So they get their wish granted, even if a lie has to get, get them their, you know, the wish that they want. And so as wishes and preferences begin to take, take precedence over truth, you begin to see the whole world unravel. By the end of the movie, the whole world is unraveling. It's practically melting down in fire until finally somebody stops and says, no, I, I can't do this anymore. I renounce my wish. I renounce that because I can't build it on a lie anymore. I think that's an important message for us today. I think it's a message that's being forgotten in the culture. But this is not a message about what others are doing because this is a message about what do we as followers of Jesus Christ do to live out the cross. And so we have to start with what God tells us, the narrow truth about of, of what the cross stands for. And that is found in Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let's just focus on that narrow statement. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
of God. You see, Jesus, while he was on that cross, was pretty much there alone. Pilate ignored him. Herod ridiculed him. Thieves surrounded him. The chief priests and the rulers derided him. Soldiers mocked him. Followers, his followers, stood far off from him. Most of the world retreated, ignored, or mocked the cross. And the world has been tempted to remove God. We have been tempted to remove God out of, out of how we engage each other. And humility has gone right out the window. And so you have to ask yourself, if you, if you find yourself seeing anger and hatred and conflict, then you've got to ask yourself, who is the guilty party that's causing this? Well, let me let you in on a little secret. It's quite likely everyone is guilty. Everyone mocked the cross, ran from the cross, even his own followers. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and we've heard this quote before, <clears throat> said one time uh, in his book, The Gulag Archipelago, he said, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them, then we could solve the problem. But the problem is this, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? You see, he was writing this, and it's interesting, Alexander Solzhenitsyn's past was that he had suffered in the gulags. That's why he called the book the Gulag Archipelago. Those were camps in the Soviet communist country where people were sent to be tortured and to be mistreated. He lived through that experience. And yet after coming out of that experience, notice he didn't say the line between good and evil runs through their hearts. He said the lion between good and evil runs through the hearts of everyone, including himself. He recognized the real root of the problem. And Chesterton once said it as well. He responded to a newspaper that was seeking opinions on the question, and this was their question, what's wrong with the world? And he responded to that statement, and he said, Dear sirs, I am. I am what's wrong with the world. You see, the moment that we replace all have sinned with a name, the moment that we replace all have sinned with a group, the moment we replace all have sinned with those other folks who don't agree with me, we have a problem. We are losing our way. If we think that they are the sinners and we are the ones to set it right, then we are not walking in line with God. We're choosing a path that might look like the right path, but it is engulfed in flames that's how it will end. And let me just say as a corollary to that while I'm saying that, don't ever look to anyone, any group, anything on this earth as the Savior. Because it's just not true. We are all sinners. So if you ask yourself, why are people treating each other the way they are in today's world? My answer is, because in our arrogance, we have completely forgotten this truth that we are all sinners and we've fallen short of the glory of God. That's been forgotten largely, but the church cannot forget this. We dare not forget this. The cross is foolishness to many, a stumbling block to many, precisely because it shatters our ego. And that's what it should do. The human heart needs that desperately, and we've forgotten this.
Romans 3 says this, if we think any of our standing with God, any of our righteousness that we might count to ourselves has to do with us, this pretty much puts it to bed. Romans 3, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. That is what makes us right with God. It goes on to say, can we boast then that we've done anything to be accepted by God? Can we boast? Can we be arrogant? Can we be self-righteous? No, because our acquittal isn't based on obeying the law or doing the right things. It's based on our faith in what he did. So we're made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. You see, it was that blood transfusion that saved our life. There was a story I, I heard of a, of a surgeon who was going to save the life of a child. He was operating on the child, and he realized that his operating tools and skills weren't going to be enough because the, the kid was losing too much blood. And the people around the operating table said, we don't know what to do because this child is type B negative. And so we can't save little Francisco because we don't have any B negative blood available. It's so rare, it's not available right now. And the doctor realized he could do something about it because he was the one person in the room or in the area that had B negative blood. And so he put his tools down and he stepped onto the, and sat down and lay down onto the next table and they began to draw his blood out and make a blood transfusion into Francisco. And after they did that, he brought the kid back from the brink of death and then he stood up, took his tools again and began to reoperate and save the kid's life. We need a blood transfusion to save our life, and Jesus is the only one that can provide it. He's the only one that can heal and perform surgery on a dying heart. And we cannot forget that. And our message can't be anything else to the world around us. We need to live out the truth of the cross. And if we could approach each other in this world, and this begins with the church, on the basis that we are all sinners if we could approach each other in that mindset, then perhaps things would be different. The cross is truth. The cross is grace. Ephesians 2, verse 4 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. You see, on the moment of that cross when Jesus was hanging there and the world was mocking, ridiculing, ignoring, or running away, it was in that moment that he looked up and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Such gracious words to the very people who were punishing him for nothing that he did, he turned to those people and asked for forgiveness for everything that they did to him. Gracious words. And that grace, that grace transformed dead hearts and brought them alive and beating again. We need that grace desperately. In fact, we, I feel, nowadays have a problem where each of us are increasingly seeing ourselves as an island and we're looking to each other or one person or something as a, as a savior figure or a solution provider, and we don't realize just how weak we are. We don't realize just how dead we are. In the movies, The Lord of the Rings, of course I had to bring up Tolkien, right? We all know this. I think we average it maybe 16 times a sermon, right? We, we quote Tolkien. So I'm just going to quote it once. 
But he, he wrote a lot of great material beyond the Lord of the Rings. A lot of great life lessons and spiritual lessons are kind of infused in the, in the thinking process there. But the movies themselves capture something really good. The whole the movies are about this, this journey of people to defeat this ring, which represents evil. It represents temptation. It represents everything that destroys, everything that burns down. And everyone keeps thinking for some reason that if they try to use it, they will defeat all the bad in the, because it's a powerful weapon. It's powerful. But they don't realize that every time they do that, th that they are literally taking the stairway that's going to engulf them all in flames. They don't understand the real solution to their problem. And that is not for any one person to wield the strength because they're all weak. In fact, if you notice real carefully, if you watch the movies from start to finish, all three of them, you'll realize that no one person is strong enough to wield this thing or to otherwise destroy it. They can't to get it out of the way. They can't do it by themselves. Every one of them falls to the power of it and falls into temptation and into darkness and is lost. It's only when they come together and each sacrifice for one another and each seek forgiveness from one another and each are broken with one another, it's in that frailty together that they achieve the success to defeat the ring. And that's the only way they can do it. Because they realize the importance of grace, receiving and grace giving for one another. And that strength together becomes what they need where one of them could never do it. Do we know that lesson today? Are, are we seeing that lived out in the world today? Or are we seeing the stairway engulfed in flames? I think that way looks dark and uncertain to many people. It looks like it has no power, and that's why we don't choose it. But we're the church. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, we have to ask ourselves, what are we called to live out? We need to live out the cross. There's many ways I can go into, many areas I could go into regarding this today, but I'm just going to leave you with one thought on it, and that is from Colossians 4. It says this, Let your conversation be always full of grace, full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Think about that. We can consider ourselves a gracious host. We can consider ourselves gracious in providing jobs if we're an employer for, for people or you know, gracious towards our wife and our kids and, and our actions or our husband and, and, and our friends and so on. But the reality is what do we say to people? What does that actually demonstrate? Because I think somebody said somewhere along the way that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So are our words to this world gracious, even to those who would disagree, even to those who would mock, ridicule, ignore, or otherwise try to drive us away, are our words gracious in those moments? Let's remember how hard it is to do this and how easy it is to fall, just like the ring. 1 Corinthians 10, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Let's never get to a place of arrogance where we forget how easy it can be to fall away from grace. So the cross is truth, and the cross is peace, and we're meant to live these things out. And the last thing I would leave you with, or I'm sorry, the cross is, the cross is truth and the cross is grace, and the last thing I would leave you with is that the cross is peace. You know, Jesus, on that cross, when everyone was running away, there were, there were two people, two people that chose a different path. Actually, three, because two of them came together in a moment, and then Another one later. But this first one I want to tell you is this. As he was on that cross, probably at the moment when he said, Father, forgive them, one of the two thieves who had been mocking him, 
changed. That grace changed something in him. And he reached out to him. And even after a life of running away from God, quite likely, doing it all wrong, all the guilt and the shame that that carries, all the arrogance before God, the lies, the cheating, everything he carried, he simply had one more thing he could do, just one. He had nothing else he could do, and that was he turned to Christ and said, Lord, will you remember me? I've got no reason to be remembered. I haven't done it right. I've got no merit I can claim. But will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Because I know you're going there today. It wouldn't be so bad to be with you because I see that now. I see the right path now. He wasn't certain. It wasn't clear if that path would work out. But Jesus looked at him and he said, I tell you the truth today. You will be with me in paradise. And he was saved. God's ideal is to bring peace even to those who have known only conflict. Ephesians 2 says, For he himself is our peace. He's made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier. They're talking here about two groups of, of humanity who were completely separated on every way, economically, religiously, ethnically, every way they were separated. They were in conflict. They were divided. And Jesus came and he says, through the cross, he is trying to unite them. He's bringing them together, destroying the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. He wants to bring peace to those who are divided and falling away and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Will we live out the peace of the cross? Romans 12 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That is going to be hard to find today. That is going to be hard to do today, increasingly. I believe that. Can we find it? Will we do it? Because the cross can bring peace to even the ugliest situations that look like they are already engulfed in flames and it's too late. There's a story of a prison in Brazil named Humaida Prison. It's a prison for thieves and murderers and some of the worst of society, some of those who know anger and hostility and ridicule and division the best. And yet somehow this prison was turning people away. They were going in and something was happening so that they were leaving the prison and in a country where 74% of the people would go out and perform crimes again and go back in. In this prison, everyone who left, they were only getting 4% of the people back. The rest were going off and living totally different, changed. They wondered why. And a man went in and he visited one of the inmates there who helped run things in, in the area, they, they kind of recruited among their own to run things. And he said, let me show you our secret here. This is a true story. This inmate was convicted for murder, by the way. So he was a hardened, he was a hardened guy. He brought this person over to a punishment cell in the prison. And he said to them, this is the punishment cell. We still use it for punishment of prisoners. And we have an inmate in there right now. Do you want to go in? man wasn't sure if he wanted to see this, and he wasn't quite sure how this was resulting in what they were seeing coming out of this prison, but he says, okay, I'll open the door. So he opened the door, 
And what he saw inside was a couple of chairs, just a dim light and some flowers on a table. And as he walked through the door, he turned to the right. And on the right, he saw a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross. This prisoner pointed to the image of Christ and said, this is the prisoner who took the punishment for us. And a sign on the wall above that picture of Jesus said, in their language, we are together. They understood how the power of the cross could bring peace. We can see that in our society today if we will choose to live out the cross. Let me just end with this. God, this is a, a season of time I think probably unlike any we've known and may stay that way for a while where things are dark and we're looking and we're saying I just don't see the path and we just are going to be tempted to draw away from living out the cross. Just remember, don't draw away from God. God cares for you. There was two other people I mentioned who drew into him in that moment of darkness and uncertainty. The Apostle John must have broke away from that distant moment and just approached Jesus with Jesus' mother. And in that moment, as he approached the cross, here was Jesus, the Son of God, dying and leaving the world, dying for our sins, who looked at John and Mary and said, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. In that moment that the Son of God was leaving the earth, losing his life, he was giving his mother a new son and giving them new purpose and hope. Don't ever run from God. He cares for where you're at. He wants to show you the way of the cross. He wants to show us a better way. But we are facing that choice today. What will we do as the, as the church? Will we follow the ways that seem to be so prevalent in this world right now because we think that's the stairway out? Or will we choose a different way? What will we draw to that is the choice that we face. James chapter 4 says, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. That's the choice before us today. I believe that. There will be those available for prayer if you are seeking that today after the service. In the meantime, don't run to conflict. Don't run to ridicule. Don't run to anger. Don't run to division. Run to the cross. Live out the cross today. That's the call that God is putting before us. Heavenly Father, we, we want to meet this time as your church in a way that the world sees nothing but Jesus Christ and him lifted up because the cross has always stood and the cross will continue to stand. I think the only real question, God, will be whether the world sees the cross in us. So, God, give us the strength for this nation right now, God. We pray. We pray for our leaders. May they find brokenness. May they find wisdom. May they find you. May the conversation and the ability to do so, may they find a way to that, God. We pray for our nation. We pray for this world. Help us, Lord, to represent you to this world. It's in Jesus' name.
and in the power of your cross that we pray. And the church said, amen. Go in truth, go in grace, and go in peace.